What forces have shaped your personality? The things that define who you are today. So the natural answer begins with our parents, our genes, our DNA. Begins with our environment, our homes, our families, our schooling, our education, and our social influences. The question is, how much of this is really you? Or have you been defined and shaped by others? Have you found your own voice? This question becomes acutely amplified in a time when you're dealing with enemies. Because very often when we're attacked, we become the defensive. What do we do? We respond. We react. And that ends up defining us. The armor we develop the defense mechanisms. And this begins even from childhood. So then we have an identity that has been defined by others who have our adversaries who have in some way threatened us. It's critical to find yourself and not allow yourself to be defined by anything else in life even though there are factors that shape us. So please join me in this critical and important discussion. Don't let your enemy define you. Don't let your enemy define you. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson. We'll be speaking about Don't Let Your Enemy Define You. This program is dedicated in honor of all the hostages, soldiers, and families in Israel who have lost loved ones. And apropos, with a war being fought, where things become very crystallized when there's life and death tragically involved, the boundaries, the parameters of right and wrong, of good and evil, of life and death. And as well as who we are. You don't know who a person really is until they're challenged. Because when we're in our comfort zones, we gravitate to what we call the path of least resistance. Whatever our routines, our habits have become but when you're challenged, it either brings out the worst in you, God forbid, or the best in you. Because you're forced to dig deeper, to find inner more inner resources to deal with the challenge. I like the expression that you don't know that we're like a tea bag. You don't know how strong you are until you put into hot water. Or to quote Warren Buffett in the investment world, until the tide is out, you don't know who's been swimming naked. These are cliches, perhaps, but they reveal a deeper truth. 
And as such, it's critical in a time like this is not just to deal with whatever challenge it is, but to actually define ourselves. And hence the title, Do Not Let Your Enemy Define You. Because it seems natural and easy to become defined by your enemy because you have to respond. But let's begin from the beginning. When you're asked the question, what forces have shaped you and defined who you are today, whoever you may be? So the usual suspects begins with our parents, our genes, our DNA, the things we've inherited, our hereditary, the different personality that you see sometimes run in different families. The next thing would be included would be the environment, meaning the home we grew up in. I don't mean just in the, the nature, the nurture. Again, parents, siblings, family members, community, the schools we go to, what our educators have taught us or didn't teach us. And then, of course, there's the social influences. Society in general, the media, the standards of a particular time that we live in, attitudes, all of these are factors that contribute to who you are today. But the key thing, when you really think about it, is how much of is it you and how much of is it others? I can't tell you how many people have told me the job I have is not what I wanted for myself. It was what my father insisted. He paid for my education. He felt this will give me a good living. Some will say, I learned to like it. I learned to live with it. And some say, I still don't like it. Why didn't you just follow your own voice? Too much pressure. And what did I know? I was young, impressionable. This doesn't always mean that it's bad. Very often parents do direct and guide a child, young man or woman, in the right direction. They steer them in the right direction. The question is how much is it imposed upon them? Are they helping their children to own their choices, or they are forcing them to do so. So many will say, I don't even know what my real voice is because I had a very domineering father or domineering mother or one or the other or both or neither. And many different, uh, we'll call them, I don't want to use the word scapegoats, so I'm not trying to point fingers here and say that every parent is a, is, is a negative force in your life, but parents can be very overbearing. And the fact is, in our early impressionable years, they're the only people in our lives that really matter. Because that's where we turn to for everything. Our nurturing, our love, our sustenance. This is the world in which we grow up in. So by the time you're ready and old enough to make choices, how many of these choices have been made for you? This doesn't mean necessarily bad. Because someone had to choose what school you should go to. Someone had to choose what etiquette or what religion or faith or other uh, lifestyles you should embrace. And, and parents, healthy or not healthy, do their best. Obviously, unhealthy parents and dysfunctional ones 
will cause more problems. But healthy parents also make choices. But the healthy parent will also help engender and encourage a child to own, to embrace, and as they grow older, to experiment. And challenge even what your parents have told you. And then there's the other factors that I mentioned. The home. Not just now, we're not talking about the genes. The home, the immediate family, community, and schooling and education. And then society as a whole. So now when we have form our, formulate and form our opinions about things, where is it coming from? We'd like to believe I'm an independent, open-minded, out-of-the-box thinker and just coming up with my own perspective on things. Do you really know? Even if you'd like to believe that, do you really know that that's the case? How much of it is because you've been persuaded? Maybe it's the last person you spoke to. And again, I'm not trying to dismiss anything. But we are impressionable people. And if we don't have a solid foundation from within, it's very likely that often our opinions are shaped by others. And then at some point, perhaps we've also integrated and maybe made it our own, maybe not. Take, for example, a simple example. Are you a, a, a sports fan? What team are you a fan of? Why are you a fan of that team? And if it's to obsession, it's to obsession. Why? Were you born in that city? Very likely. When you were a child, who was chairing that team? The people that, that shaped you probably were fans of that team as well. Is it possible that you went and found a different team? Yes, it's possible. But more likely, it's due to other people. You weren't born being a Yankee fan or Boston Red Sox fan in baseball or a uh, Giants fan, or a uh, Rams fan, or a, uh, a Packers fan, just using random names. No one was born that way. There were things that shaped, and, and to the point that you are really now a fan, it's impossible to change loyalties, even if your team is losing. It's just a, a very superficial example, but also a very powerful example. And how many other opinions? That you could say, fam, who really cares, a sports fan? But what about opinions around about the war in Israel right now? What about all the issues going on on campuses and in the media and so on? Where do your opinions come from? And I'm not trying to make a case for one side or another. Everybody's formulated by something where they come from. Now, an intelligent person is able to challenge themselves and their biases. But let's bring it back to the most acute form of being defined or shaped by others. And that's when you're dealing with an enemy. Let's start psychologically. <clears throat> a child growing up in a dysfunctional home, an abusive home. So God, in his mysterious ways, has also created a certain resilience. Just like an oyster secretes a fluid when there's an irritating piece of dust on his very soft underbelly, which will turn into a pearl. And just like a porcupine is blessed with very sharp needles because it has a very soft underbelly as well. So human beings, when we're challenged, we have certain knee-jerk reactions that help protect us. You know, someone's about to, let's say, God forbid, punch you, you'll put up your hand. And the same thing emotionally and psychologically. Growing up, 
in an environment that is warlike, unpredictable, uncertain, you start developing layers of armor, defensive mechanisms that become part of who you are. To the point, if it's really extreme, you can become your armor and your defense mechanisms, and we don't know what's behind that armor. And often that will be revealed, you know when? When you're vulnerable. People can run their businesses and run life, but as soon as they're challenged emotionally, as soon as they have to be more emotional, especially in relationships, all that armor, those defense mechanisms will come out. Do you really trust or do you not trust? And I'm not talking about playing the game. I'm talking about when the tide is out, are you swimming naked? So adversary and challenges of all things in life are probably one of the most powerful shapers of who we are. So you could actually be your own worst enemy. I, how, how often is this, how common is this, where people have difficulty finding a relationship? Finding a soulmate. And you could trace it back because they have issues with trust. Why? Because in their childhood, their parents either had bad, had bad marriage or the parents were an absentee. The child never learned to trust properly. So, of course, as an adult, you don't just easily trust. That's just a simple example. But there are many nuances in this. And what's really happening, you've been defined by your enemy. I use the word enemy very loosely here because I don't like to call a parent an enemy. But in this context, it could be one. Now, if you take enemies in the broader sense, this I talk about psychologically and maybe more subtle in a more broad context and a more defined and tangible one, you're fighting a war. You need to respond to your enemy. That's called defense. But we all know the greatest battle, the greatest power we have is offense. And the best defense is offense. But for that, you need to be able to identify yourself not based on your enemy. The fact is, and this perhaps requires an analysis of its own, why is it that our enemies bring out our strengths or our values and crystallize who we are more than anything else? And why can't we find that on our own? It's usually due to the fact that we like our comfort zones. And our enemies are the ones, or challenges, let's put it that way, are the ones that rattle us and disrupt our comfort zones and security blankets and force us to now figure out who, what we stand for. But what you want to avoid, and that's the key, is you don't want to be defined by your enemy. Now let's spell out what that means. Let's take the biblical story of Joseph. We actually read these weeks. This week. So the biblical story goes like this. It says that the brothers were jealous. Jacob's children were jealous of their brother Joseph. They felt he was favored by Jacob. They were jealous, which is, requires its own understanding why, but that's what it was. To the point they finally plotted to kill him. They almost did, but then they chose to sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, first in prison, but then he rises to power. He becomes the second in command, the viceroy of Egypt, turns Egypt into a superpower. 22 years he was ripped away from his family 
from his father who thought he was dead. 22 years. You can imagine in his heart how much rage he had, how much vengeance. Completely unfair what they did to him. Unfair is a mild word. And now he's in power. And they need him because because of the famine they come to Egypt. So you would think everything is set up here for a major revenge story. Vengeance. The Count of Monte Cristo. Vengeance. Get back to them what they did to him. And what they did to his father for that matter. And yet we find the exact opposite. After a whole dramatic episodes in order to get his brother Benjamin down to Egypt, Joseph's heart melts when he sees Judah, his archenemy, the main instigator, begging for the life of his younger brother Benjamin, Joseph's youngest brother. I mean, brother of all of them, but it was Joseph's complete brother, not half-brother. And he can't control himself any longer and reveals his identity. You can imagine the shame of the brothers when this happens. And now they're completely at his mercy. He can do anything he wants to them. What does he say when he sees their shame, when he sees their, their, how mortified they are? He says, you did not do this to me. It was God that sent me down to this land to become a savior, to become a source of sustenance for you, your families, my father, and for the world for that matter. What composure, what presence, what strength does a human spirit have to be able to transcend and not allow his personal feelings of what was done to him? Completely no victim here. He's not a victim. He's not pointing fingers. And they were responsible. It wasn't because he didn't realize that they were But I am not defined by you, he was saying. I'm defined by a higher destiny, by my calling. Yes, we all would prefer this didn't happen. But now I'm here and I look at my life and I see I was sent here for a reason. It happened through you. It would have happened another way if it wasn't you. You know what kind of freedom that is? Freedom of spirit? To not allow the adversary, the challenges... And his very brothers to define him. When the Jewish people were decimated, one third, six million out of 18 million were killed in the horrendous fashion during the Holocaust. One and a half million innocent children. And not just killed, cremated, disappeared. No memory of them. Obviously, we did make a memory of them. No grave sites. So you can imagine the survivors, their own families, and the rest of the Jewish people were devastated, had nowhere to turn. The world was against them. Were they defined by their enemies? Did they become like their enemies? There's a story told that was a, well, every Nazi was sadistic in his own way, but a particular sadistic Nazi was about to kill a Jew, and the Jew asked him, can I say my final prayers? And the Jew began whispering. And the Nazi said, what are you saying? 
He says, I'm thanking my God. I'm thanking God. He says, what are you thanking God for? Where's your God, you dirty Jew? I'm, you're at my mercy here. There's no God. And he said, I'm thanking God that he did not create me like you. What freedom in that? And though he may have been killed and probably was killed, the circumstances were not in their control, but how their attitude was in total control, was completely in their control. They could, their spirits could not be killed. These are, that means that you have something that defines you, that's deeper than all the experiences around you. So not only I'll call simple, not only the regular four factors, parents, family, environment, schooling, education, society doesn't shape you. Even your enemies don't shape you. And enemies, as I said, are a very immediate danger. You're not defined by them. You're defined by you. And that's critical. But when you get defined, because when you get defined by your enemy, even if you're winning, you're losing. Because that means they still control you. Often in therapy, people come for counseling. I advise when I see someone, I see some people who are still, even though they grew up in a dysfunctional home, they're still attached. The umbilical cord has not been really cut. They go back to their parents and still play, and still feel they have to please them and still feel intimidated and fearful. And then there's the other extreme. People who have broken away will never go back home. And I point out to them, both scenarios, you're still connected. Just one is running toward, one is running away. You don't want to be defined by the burning building that you're running from either. You want to find yourself. I'm not saying it's easy. But you see, you can be defined by your enemy even if you're completely against your enemy. There's one thing where you're complicit and you're like codependent, enabler, and allowing the enemy to continue to hurt you because you're participating in it in some way. But then there's the other extreme. You're constantly being running away from it, and you can't find yourself. The key is neither of the two. To learn to find who you are, your soul, is what defines you. And when you have that, you really experience true freedom. So don't let your enemy define you. Don't let any factor define you. This does not mean that we should not benefit from and draw from the things we've learned in life, from our parents and from our, from our homes, from our communities, from our schools, from our environment and, and society. But that's benefiting from it. Then there's defining yourself. And that requires real work. So when you defend yourself against an enemy, take Israel is right now in war with people, savages you can say, who indiscriminately, in a most atrocious way, and brutal way, massacred, humiliated, mutilated, I don't want to go through all the graphic details, so many innocent men, women, and children. Ten weeks ago, October 7th, as it's called, Shmini Atzeret Simchas Torah, in the Hebrew calendar. So of course, the rage, the grief, the pain, the wish for vengeance, it's all there. But we learn from Joseph. 
We will fight the war. We'll do whatever it takes to eradicate the enemy, but that doesn't define us. That's simply stopping the bleeding because you need to grow. What defines us is what we stand for, not what we stand against. We're not anti-anti-Semites. That's not what defines us. We have to fight discrimination and racism and all forms of hatred. But then what are we left with? That we're anti-hatred? No, we have something we love. We love light. We love love. We love the divine. We love the transcendent. We're here to transform this world into a beautiful world. That's the goal. You have to weed the garden at times. But that's not the goal just to get rid of the weeds. Is that the flowers grow. Let the flowers define you, not the weeds. So how do you do that? You do that through introspection, through creating space. Find out who you are. It'd be a great way to begin in the morning, as soon as you wake up. If you don't do it yet, it's maybe a good time to begin. There's a one-line prayer, chant, meditation called the Moda'ani. One line. In Hebrew, Moda'ani lefanecha melechai v'kayim shechzarta bin nishmati bechem l'rabba munatecha. English translation, loose translation. Thank you for returning my soul to me with compassion and faith, confidence in me. Thank you for returning my soul to me. It's a declaration, number one, of gratitude, which we know goes a long way even in psychological health, spiritual health. Two, it's defining who you are. It's my soul. Three, my soul has been renewed. The vote of confidence, a renewed contract, renewed calling that you are here in this world with an indispensable mission and purpose. So you're declaring who you are. I'm not defined because I'm hungry and want to eat breakfast. I'm not defined by the job I have to go to. I'm not defined by all other factors. I do what I have to do, my responsibilities, expectations. I'm defined by the very life and soul that I have. Feed that soul. Nourish it. Beginning with that morning meditation. And then throughout the day, immerse that soul in a spiritual spa. SPA, an acronym for Study, Prayer, Action. Cognitive, Emotional, and Behavioral Conditioning. Study something spiritual that puts your mind, puts your attitude into another place, Take it, takes it to another state of consciousness. A prayer, which is emotional conditioning. A prayer, a poem, a song, that your heart is taken away from the immediate here and now also transported to another time and place. And finally, your behavioral. Good deeds. Volunteer. Reach out to someone. Say a kind word. It's a deliberate effort. So then you have the beginning. You're stating your mission statement in the Moda Ani. Thank you for returning my soul to me. Then your soul is active cognitively, emotionally, and behaviorally. And the rest of your day is all the spokes that feed that hub. They feed into that hub. And that hub directs and guides them. And before you go to sleep, instead of falling asleep with a newspaper on your nose or with a television on or with your, with your smartphone, say another meditation, another meditation. I entrust my soul to you. 
That same soul that I th- thank you to in the morning, I entrust it to you for my sleep. Go to sleep in a peaceful way. When you have those bookends, the morning and the evening, the sleep will be more peaceful and your waking up will be more invigorating. These are just a few examples. I'm sure you can think of more. The key is to feed your soul and your soul feels that, that sense of purpose. That defines you. Everything else are the circumstances around you. You define yourself. Then you learn to navigate all the other factors. Don't let your enemy define you. Don't let anything define you. Accept your higher calling. And when a person has that type of approach, as I said, the best defense is offense. You're proactive. You're not just reactive. You initiate. You don't just respond. Because you have something to give. You have something to serve with. So it's not just your armor, your defense mechanisms. It's the great light, the unique light, the unique song, the unique flower, the unique voice that is unique to you and you alone. Not as Oliver Wendell Holmes says in that tragic poem, The Voiceless, alas to those that die with their song still inside them. Do not let your song stay inside you. Sing it. Let the good influences of your life contribute to that. Support that. Encourage, validate it. But it's your song. And we all need it, as you need our song. And together, let us create that cosmic symphony, that harmony within diversity, where we encourage ourselves, and therefore others as well, to be themselves. Thank you so much. This has been Simon Jacobson. Meaningfullife.com is our website. Please check it out. We have a wide array of offerings, especially in these days, in these weeks. Please subscribe to our growing YouTube channel. Share, and I'd love to hear your feedback, thoughts, comments, suggestions. Be blessed, be well, and sing your song. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.